Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right, we are back. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. We're going to do this a little bit differently. Start off with the Memphis Grizzlies, which uh, Liam was kind enough to do for this week. And then we're going to be jumping around a little bit more because we're going to be looking at some of these teams through the lenses of some of the games they've played over the last couple of days good western conference heavy schedule these last couple of days and so you know if you're one of these people who wants to only listen to your team well shame on you you should have to listen to the Kings section because we have to watch the kings so uh i'm not making it easy for you this time you have to listen to the whole thing if you want to just get to your team we're sponsored today by blue apron blueapron.com slash cap space that will get you your first dinner a 30 dollar value free at that slash cap space url liam good uh monday i guess uh, for you there on the east coast yes yeah well not so good for the grizzlies uh they're, they're struggling quite a bit right now uh seven and 12 right now they're on an eight game losing streak net rating of negative 2.3 22nd in the league offensive rating 103.4 24th in the league defensive rating 105.7 13th in the league so they just lost to the nets at home today uh, uh marcus hall got benched for the fourth quarter uh he had a quote about that where he was pretty frustrated chandler parsons sat out the second half with knee tightness at like I said, they've lost eight straight, um, including a home loss in there, in there to the Mavs and now the Nets. So things couldn't be going much worse for this team overall right now. Yeah, and this Nets team, you know, they're missing Russell. I don't think Alan Crabb played either. They really, you know, Lynn is out, obviously. Like, the, this Nets team is about as bad as it gets in the league right now, especially defensively. You know, only score 88 points is pretty miserable. Gasol's quote, after the bench cut the gap to five and then scored once in almost four minutes, said, if I start vending, that would be counterproductive. But at the end of the day, I'm as competitive as anybody. I hate not playing. That's what I value the most. If I'm not out there, I'm not valued. I'm sure they knew that would hurt me the most. And then you mentioned that Parsons, who had been moved into the starting lineup, uh, sat out the second half of the game with knee tightness in that surgically repaired right knee. Uh, Both of his knees, of course, have been surgically repaired. And his minutes had already been curtailed. So we'll see. Um, I mean, it's really just been a complete disaster for them since Conley went out, huh? Yeah, they got a negative 8.8 rating in the six games that he's missed so far and the offense is 97 98 point offensive rating and they just they've really been leaning too much on Marcus Gasol and they just don't have enough like NBA rotation players to fill in the rest of the team so Marcus Gasol with Mike Conley out has a 30 percent usage 49 percent true shooting percentage and he just he just looks like he's taking like a step back in a lot of areas I think his shooting percentage from you know mid-range at the rim and three are all a little bit down and defensively he doesn't seem like the same player and the stats seem to back that up the defensive rating for the team is 13 points worse with him on the floor and that's just a number of things you know slow rotations uh in the pick and roll when he's dropping he's been giving up a couple lobs and ball handlers have been attacking him uh Nikola Jokic really abused him in the post and just face-ups and fakes and all sorts of stuff yeah that was really surprising to me to see him because Jokic he's a solid post player he's improving but usually doesn't score that well against guys his size and he was even like getting knocked backwards by 
by Jokic. It really was was not the great greatest performance from Gasol. No, and and you can you can see on the court that like a number of times he's been like yelling at his teammates, very frustrated, obviously with you know how the season's going. Uh, the one thing he has been doing though is on those short rolls. Still, he's been fantastic passing. I think he had career high thirteen assists against the Nuggets, where he was getting a lot of those. Uh, passes on the short roll and making plays out of that throwing the weak side corner cutting so and they just don't have the, the depth to fill in around him so like with Mike Conley out they need Mark Marcus all to play like a you know an all-star player and you know he's not stepping up to it and if he's not gonna step up they're really gonna struggle and they've gotten more than they you know could have hoped to get out of Tyreek Evans who's got a 59% true shooting percentage runs he was running the second units he still is on the second unit with this uh, team with Mike Conley out but they're asking him to play a lot more minutes and what he's done that's been really surprising this year is he's been able to hit you know pull up shots off the dribble that are making teams respect him and they aren't they can't go under the screens he's 50 percent on his pull-up twos 47 percent on his pull-up threes so he's forcing teams to you know either hedge or trap him in the pick and rolls because they can't really switch him because anytime he gets a big on the switch he's he takes that big to the rim and he he's great at getting to the rim so he's really creating a lot of those four on three situations that are propping up the offense but he, even in those situations they don't have the the role players to you know really capitalize on it hit shots from the outside they got a lot of guys that are cold right now ben mcclemore dylan brooks has been struggling a little bit lately lately um who else uh Jarrell Martin yeah a lot of, you know a lot of role players that aren't really playing well I mean is there anybody out of the you know your kind of you know secondary role players that you kind of like James Ennis has been struggling a little bit too yeah he he was a guy that I did like but I mean you're right you know Martin 8.0 PER Harrison 6.0 PER Ben McLemore has been awful uh, so far 5.1 PER in his seven games uh they've uh Wayne Selden hasn't really been able to play at all due to that quad injury uh Ivan Rabb has spent the entire season in the D League he's only played one minute so far and you know dylan brooks for the fact that he's been playing and has been a pleasant surprise you know still 9.2 pr you know this is kind of we're getting to reality check time with some of these rookies i was looking at like the rookie stats today and it's like all right you know a lot of guys are playing a lot of guys are in rotations a lot of guys are pleasant surprises but they're still rookies and you still have very few rookies who are even close to league average in terms of efficiency especially if they're higher usage guys you know i want to get back to what you're talking about with gasol because last year coming off the foot injury i was low on memphis because i thought you know he could get hurt he was going to decline now this year i think we're seeing more of that natural progression he had forestalled that by shooting the three-pointer but has not been hitting from downtown at the rate he was last season and you're right you know if he's not going to be that star player even with conley out you'd think hey you know they still got tyreek uh but he has not played like that second star for large portions of the season no and, and they don't have any other you know on ball creators i mean mario chalmers isn't a guy that's going to create much out of the pick and roll he can throw you know a simple pocket pass stuff like that but anytime he tries to you know be the main scorer on any unit he kind of gets out out of control you know that's not his game and and Chandler Parsons for his for as good as a bounce back season as this has been for him it's mostly off you know catch and shoot stuff like that they had in the Portland game yeah. the Portland was playing Napier McCollum and Lillard so Damian Lillard was matched up against Chandler Parsons who was playing the three and they, they didn't attack that at all no pick and rolls no iso no you know post-ups no no anything they were really has become kind of a I don't know, not a bit player. He's been a super efficient role player, but he's really not a guy that can take, you know, advantage of matchups. And especially when he gets like a wing defender on him, like Mo Harkless, uh, you know, swatted his shot when he tried to go to the rim a couple times. So he's really not 
very dynamic off the bounce anymore. Hopefully that comes back, but I'm a little skeptical with you know the knee injury history and whatnot with him. Yeah, and another issue that they've had too is with Brandon Wright, who we had praised as looking much better this year. He instantly went down with a groin injury after we did that episode, and now he's being replaced by Deontay Davis. And I think maybe part of the reason for Gasol's reduced effectiveness has been you know he's playing a ton of minutes lately as well uh, because perhaps they don't have the confidence in Davis. But when he has been out there, what have you seen from him? Well, to be honest, to be honest, I haven't been too impressed with him. He had a good game against Dallas, but I think that was mostly because they were just putting Dirk in pick and roll in the second unit with him and Tyreek Evans, and he was just getting a lot of lobs and easy buckets off that. But um, I mean, his his role is pretty limited. He's going to be a rim roller on offense. He didn't flash any offensive skill. He had one like simple pass that I saw, but he's not making any post moves. He's not you know stretching the floor. He's not making plays out of the short roll or anything like that. He's strictly like a lob guy, and even at a lob as a lob guy, he doesn't have a, a ton of vertical pop. I mean, he just of length he seemed to finish pretty well around the hoop but I'm skeptical if that's going to continue and in defense you know he, he struggled in pick and roll he wasn't very he didn't get high enough when he had to when he was dropping in pick and roll he gave up some pull-up threes to Murray and some guys from Portland and when Dirk picking and popped he didn't really recover out to him very hard so it was what was surprising is he moves pretty well on the outside I think you know when he got switched against McCollum and uh, Jamal Murray against Denver he actually moved his feet pretty decently against them and contained you know relatively well so I, I think he has the most ability i just don't think he really understands positioning like a few times he had to hedge he was totally ineffective there and he's just you know doesn't really know where to be on defense as far as rim defense he jumped at fakes when he was in the paint you know out of position too often he, he wasn't effective protecting the rim against brooklyn at all so i'm, I'm pretty skeptical that he's going to be a long-term you know rotation player and, and to make matters worse he's kind of playing in some funky lineups that he played I think they were playing some minutes with Gasol Deontay Davis and Jarrell Martin on the floor which offered you know pretty much no spacing and it's kind of an awkward lineup so I mean they're really searching for just anybody that can play right now because as soon as he puts somebody in they start struggling you know they they search for another option like Ben McElmore's been struggling Jarrell Martin Andrew Harrison can't hit a shot so they're just mixing and matching lineups and it's not good for building you know continuity or there's a lot of miscommunications on defense so I think Deontay's a part of that you know a guy that with not a lot of experience there's been a lot of miscommunications as far as you know matching up in transition or botching switches so I'm, I'm not too optimistic on his long-term potential I don't know what, what do you think about him well yeah I, I think uh, I agree with most of what you said there you know the one thing you had in the notes which I've said before too is we didn't see him popping off the floor the way we did it at Michigan State where we felt like okay you know this guy might be a little bit undersized as a traditional center but he, he can make up for it with his athleticism and, and you know he moves his feet okay but we haven't seen that type of pop from him either you know he's got a good knack for finishing around the rim but you really were hoping he'd be a guy who could go up and get lobs like dunk on people and we haven't seen that at all from him you know if he'd really he has a great analog for what he could be maybe in Brandon Wright but he doesn't have the type of athleticism that the young Wright did and and perhaps all those repeated foot injuries has been a part of why he's lost that component or maybe you know he just isn't as good of an athlete as we thought it sometimes that will happen there um other thing that's popping out to me about this team is just shooting so poorly from three at this point i mean they really don't have anyone who is knocking down a shot on this squad 32 percent overall and that's even with tyreek shooting 41 percent and chandler parsons 47 percent everybody else on the team is basically you know 32 percent or below and i mean there's some guys who've just been horrific chalmers is 22 percent brooks is 30 percent and 
Andrew Harrison, 5 out of 28. Ben McLemore, 3 out of 17. Uh, and Jamichael Green, he's played six games. He's back now. He's hitting his shots, but he's always been a really low-volume guy. Um, all right, I, I think we can... Uh, I mean, the last thing to talk about with these guys is now at 7-12 and 12 and 22nd in net rating, that 24th ranked offense. Don't see that getting much better. Um, really trending the wrong way. I mean, pretty quickly now it's going to be maybe Gasol's trade time. Conley, you know, if they can even trade him. I mean, he, with this Achilles issue, he's still has four years left on that. What at the time was the largest contract in NBA history, five years, $153 million there. And then I think maybe more likely would be that they could look to move on from Evans who's on that one year the BAE one year 3.3 million dollar if he keeps playing like this he actually could be a valued commodity for a team that could use some creation and is you know maybe not a high-end team but a team that's trying to get into the playoffs you know he'd look, look real good on like a Charlotte for example that really needs some help creating off the bench yeah I'd agree with that you know the only thing I'd say is you know if, and you you kind of alluded to it if they were going to do a fire sale like they don't really have much to sell so and even a guy like Gasol like if they were going to try and deal Gasol you you know, he's on the wrong side of 30, showing some signs of regression. Sure, they could get something back for him, maybe on a, on a contract like that. But that becomes, you know, pretty difficult to, you know, handle politically if you're going to sell a player for, I don't know, a mid first round pick or, you know, however much they can get for him. It's probably not going to be enough for management to, you know, be able to sell to the public, which as much as we, you know, don't want to acknowledge as part of this, obviously that is. So I, I wonder, you know, how they're going to handle it if they do fall out of the race, which it certainly looks like they're going to right now. Yeah, well, Gasol did have those comments in, in a Spanish language newspaper over the offseason that, you know, he wanted them to continue to build, that he just wanted, and Chris Harrington, when we did our Memphis preview, had some interesting thoughts on this too, that he just says, Gasol really just likes going to work, you know, and so, stuff like this benching today, maybe that'll change his opinion. You know, he, he's expressed some frustration before, I mean, with Dave Fisdale and his methods at times last year and Fisdale too you know was lauded for getting them to play a different way but it'll be interesting I know the front office really likes him I've heard some stuff that maybe you know his rah-rah methods didn't quite sit as well with some of the vets on the team maybe Gasol among them and so that could come to a head as well too is that I don't think they're gonna like fire Fisdale or something but I think Gasol's mood is gonna be something to watch because if he wants to be moved then it kind of makes it a little easier to do that um Danny what do you think they could get for Gasol in a trade right now just in a vacuum with the center market being so tight this is the worst time I can remember to trade a an above average center because even at really any price there are so so many guys in supply on teams that 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 would be a playoff team there are already so many guys that are there and Gasol makes so much money that you're going to have to be sending something significant back and that's either going to be bad salary or it's going to be a good player and so I think they could get at least a first if they wanted to but I don't think they could get back a top 10 pick unless they were taking on some seriously bad salary and I could understand considering their ownership situation why that might not be possible yeah and this is going to be and maybe you know they would have to get a third team involved where a team getting him could offload some bad salary to that third team but I mean Gasol where he is now defensively I'm not sure that he really helps you win at the absolute highest levels anymore because he's just probably a little bit too slow in a playoff series against some of the best teams i mean you know against a houston against a golden state against a cleveland and maybe even against boston as well though they're not so incredibly good 
offensively. So I don't know. I mean, I do think that they would want to, if they do want to get something for him, better to move now until, I mean, at the end of the year, if he continues to play this way and they're finished well out of the playoffs, it becomes much more difficult. But again, hard to pivot that quickly. All right. Uh, thanks again, uh, Liam, for uh, your usual awesome research. We'll continue on here, but first this is from Blue Apron. Blue Apron delivers fresh pre-portioned ingredients and step-by-step recipes right to your door on a weekly basis. My fiance and I, we like to do two meals a week. We actually will get the one for four people so we could have some leftovers throughout the week. This week's menu, baked tilapia and creamy kale with frigola sarda pasta and shiitake and hoisin beef burgers with miso mayonnaise and roasted sweet potatoes. That miso mayonnaise sounds pretty awesome. Looking forward to making that. The way to get started with Blue Apron and get access to their menu of only non-GMO ingredients and meat with no added hormones, go to blueapron.com slash capspace and Blue Apron will treat our listeners to their first dinner, a $30 value. That's blueapron.com slash capspace. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right, why don't we start then by talking about Dallas and we'll work in Oklahoma City here as well because I watched that game last night and Oklahoma City now ranks 20th in offense and second in defense. They are 8-11, and 2-4 and four since the last 15-60. They did have a, that wonderful win over the Warriors on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. But other than that, continuing really to struggle, they lost at home in what was an abomination of a game against the Pistons. Dan, you watched uh, the last few minutes of that game. Uh, you saw a whole lot of red uh, on their shot chart. Yeah, I mean, so they were. It was a close game, you know. Like that—that's an important thing to to talk about here. Is that it was, I think it was two or three points for a lot of it, and it, there were two minutes left. Oklahoma City took six three pointers. They only made one, and it was a insane Anthony or sorry Andre Robertson three. And Russ forced a few shots. They weren't getting to the line very well. I think they had two free throws during that time, and. It seemed like they were playing the entire run as if there was 10 seconds left in the game and they were down by three when <laughs> there was a lot more time left. And it, it was also emblematic of one of my con- big big structure concerns about Oklahoma City, which was not relevant against the Warriors because they defended so well that it wasn't relevant, which is that they need to figure out a way to incorporate Paul George offensively at the end of games, even just to keep him engaged. Because the only time I can recall him touching the ball in those last two minutes was when he got a steal himself and he passed passed the ball to I think it was Russ and then somebody else took a shot yeah I mean it's still your turn my turn it's either Russ pick and roll up top or Russ trying to get into the post in transition or it's Paul George coming off a wide pin down or just a a regular pin down almost always on the right side of the floor or it's Mello shooting a spot up maybe off of a Russ pick and roll or they'll get him an ISO maybe to get a switch on him first and so I think that's a big part of it and then obviously the Robert factor has been enormous in today's game against dallas which we'll talk about a little bit here now robertson basically got completely taken out of the game early he hit one three from the left corner that hit the the top of the backboard which is the specialty of his and then barely drew iron on a right wing three and then basically was taken out of the game for the rest of the half Uh, they went to terrence ferguson ferguson actually had some moments you can get away with him a little bit more against dallas with their small guards although he didn't have the heft to deal with Harrison Barnes Barnes really uh, abused a lot of their guys with his strength in the post and then Alex Abrinas did not play at all in this one they're really as we've been talking about searching for that fifth guy Patrick Patterson I don't think attempted a single shot in the first three quarters which is what I watched because it was a complete blowout by the 
end uh every once in a while which i think they need to do more of because dallas was hiding dirk on robertson and dirk was just hanging out in the lane they'd try a pick and roll with robertson and dirk would just hang back and and there really just wasn't any space there either and robertson is the precise wrong player to go against a rick carlisle coach team because rick carlisle knows what your weakness is and he is just going to go at it mercilessly the same way he did against boston going against uh Kyrie irving because they knew irving would always switch and then they could go right at him with barnes in the post dallas is a good test even though they're they're better than the record but even though they're not going to likely be a playoff team because they treat that in a way like a lot of teams do in the playoffs you know most teams don't change their approach based on opponent very much in the regular season they do a little bit but dallas is a stress test and they did that really well here and that has to be a big concern for oklahoma city because they have high aspirations and if teams can do that now with inferior personnel imagine what they can do with superior personnel yeah and just the, the scoring when they can't get on the fast break it's really rough right it was only 25 24 after one and then they scored 13 points in the second quarter and 18 in the third quarter and they trailed 78 55 after the third and the game was over and russ had 16 points in the first a lot of it getting out in transition he got a couple quick fouls on dennis smith they had eight fast break points in the first and they just weren't able to to get out on the break and everything died and so paul george he was one out of 12 i think he only took one shot in the paint out of that 12 you know he is getting some of his normal shots and, and they had a lot of shots going in and out so it wasn't like he just looked horrible there uh but it really was just a lot of mid-rangers jeremy grant couldn't get it going at all they weren't guarding him ferguson they put him in they go after him in the post robertson they weren't guarding and so yeah i think their stars definitely need to play better and russ and mellow probably played well enough statistically to win in this one it's just that the lack of production really for just about anyone else um outside of the big four has been a major major issue and i mean it really hit home for me when dallas went on a 12-0 run to put the game away and oklahoma city couldn't score against the lineup with jj Barea, yogi ferrell and dirk all in at the same time yeah that's a big problem and those offensive inconsistencies and struggles are sabotaging what has been a spectacular defensive season for them so far you're as you mentioned they're second in defensive efficiency but they are both number one at getting back in getting back so they're the the lowest proportion of opponent possessions are in transition which is great and they have the number one half court defense in the league so far this year so you look at those two pieces of a whole and you go holy crap like this is the foundation there they're getting back and they're also not sacrificing the offensive glass like so many teams that get back do yeah and that's really all steven adams he had a ton of offensive rebounds even in this game but wasn't able to finish them solid measure it caused problems for him uh, had four block shots in this one M's had a couple of passes go through his hands as well i mean i think the team overall in the previous game against detroit which they had lost on friday night i think the starters played you know in the top 10 in this was on the mavs broadcast the mavs broadcast has good statistical nuggets by the way in the top 10 just overall minutes played by the starters this season and so understandable that they might have run out of gas a, a little bit too but yeah i mean i i think russ is going to start playing a little better you have to hope so but the rubber is going to start to meet the road pretty soon with these guys here i mean i can't imagine that there would be a george trade necessarily unless they really look out of it and westbrook has started to look a little bit better lately because uh, he was awesome against the worries he was pretty good at, in this game but man it, it's uh it's not time to panic yet you know they still have a pretty good net rating although to get beat like this by a dallas team that is improving but still you know it shouldn't be a defensive juggernaut uh is a concern let's talk about dallas now they have improved to 5 and 15 they started the year 2 and 14 3 and 3 since uh, the last time we checked in on them 26th in net rating 
sitting at negative 4.9 they have the 27th ranked offense and somehow the 15th ranked defense which which of those is a bigger surprise to you Danny that the offense is that bad or that the defense is that good well so that's an interesting question originally for me I I think I would have said the offense but after I started really going through the numbers on it it started making more sense to me and so the best way that I can describe their issue right now is that they are playing they're not running so they're playing the highest proportion of of offensive possessions in the half court of anybody in the league and they're not getting offensive rebounds which makes sense I mean they're starting Dirk Nowitzki at center and Dirk spaces the floor and they're they're other they're playing largely small at other positions and they have solid measuring and things like that they don't get any easy buckets right so they don't get any easy buckets and they don't get any offensive rebounds so really they have to do so much in first shot half court offense and a that's not very efficient for most teams and it's not like there are any great shakes at that so i became less surprised by it over time yeah and i think now with dirk playing a little bit better he's actually at the highest plus minus on on the team over these last four games when they took boston to overtime probably should have won that game they led by 10 within the last five minutes in that one had a blowout win against the bucks beat memphis on that barnes buzzer beater off the glass and then this blowout of okc so they are playing better dirk best plus minus on the team during that stretch and and tim mcmahon theorized that with the schedule slowing down a little bit i think they had 11 games in 17 days to start the season that dirk now can recover a little bit more and play better um so i think with him spacing the floor and really becoming more of a threat out there again that could improve but the other problem is dennis smith has a 29 percent usage and coming into today 45 percent true shooting so if you have a guy shooting that often and that poorly despite what we think of his long-term potential it's very difficult to be efficient one other short thing i want to mention is that while you and i are both believers that they're better than their record and you know they should have won the boston game i have heartily enjoyed that every single one of their wins recently has caused an existential crisis in the other team's fan base like the wizards game was i mean that was like three crises ago for the wizards fans but that game the bucks game certainly did that for their fans okc fans have been apoplectic after that one and so and memphis is in a kind of a different situation but i've enjoyed that that they're kind of in that range right now where they're feisty and they're competitive but everybody thinks they're not good so they're fit and also because they have this penchant for winning game when they win they've won a lot of these games big we'll talk a little bit about their end of that win against okc they actually have been starting maxi claber now claber is someone i saw back when he was a 17 year old at the euro camp i can't remember exactly what year it was uh and he played like one day and he like got bridged and came down on his wrist and broke his wrist and wasn't able to play anymore but not a guy i necessarily expected to see in the nba years later he looks a lot different now with his beard and stuff he actually canned a three-pointer he's been getting into the post every once in a while against mismatches for some turnarounds you know he's not a great athlete but he could get up for a dunk or two every now and then and still is learning the nba game and the personnel but you know they've been doing okay with them starting and then salamentary off the bench has been also nerland's continuing to get dmps by the way um smith is just taking a ton of threes i think that's been part of his problem he's actually been hitting them better than i thought he, he would he just hasn't been getting in the foul line has been making his foul shots as well as you'd hope um he struggled on defense against russ uh had a play where he just left the strong side corner and came up a three early on but then the second quarter really started attacking more consistently and uh his jumper even his misses were pretty close last night and, and what i really liked from him a lot was his operation in pick and roll he really was doing a great job of getting russell westbrook onto his back and then almost when russ would kind of bump into him almost using that to turbocharge himself towards the rim uh when he changed 
changes speeds because he can push it so hard i mean unlike a lot of guys like him i mean if you look at like john wall when he was his age for example wall was just like a thousand miles an hour the whole time and now actually smith already understands that he'll throw some nice cross-court passes but his accuracy in those is not that great in part because he doesn't have the height of a ben simmons or a lebron who can just like throw that pass on a line he's got to kind of lob it over guys a little bit and then you'll see the guy on the opposite side have to kind of jump up and not be able to shoot right away but they still were able to get some nice dribble attacks off those plays he's seeing those guys which is an important aspect uh of his game and then defensively just in general he continues to be really bad i think that he in particular if you see him drive a couple times in a row that he'll look pretty tired out there and i think he does need to get into better overall shape because not only for his defense but just so he can attack the rim more often because he will certainly settle for jump shots although a lot of those will be late in the clock it's, you know as you mentioned they play at a snail's pace anything else on them or do you want to move on uh, i think yeah oh there was one other note i had in okc that i missed it was nice to see uh, as a, a guy who at least played some of the, the big positions in my life that a lot of times offensive fouls on big men setting a screen and pick and roll will occur because the guard goes too early before the big man can get set and the big man will get the foul but it's not his fault and so steven adams did that or, or uh, russ did that to steven adams and steven adams talked to him about it and russ was like okay my bad it's nice to see russ at least like acknowledge that all right this was my fault instead of like oh you dumbass like you said another illegal screen like nah, sometimes it's the guard's fault too as as a maligned big man because you know the guard when you're a big it's like so much more obvious when you screw up right like they throw you the ball and you're expected to make every shot around the rim you know and if you bobble a ball or, or something like that your mistakes are so much more obvious because it's like oh hey i set this shot up for you all you got to do is finish it now you know as opposed to like when guards just like miss shots or have a turnover it's not like somehow they don't get the same level of ridicule so it was good to see actually russ be like all right you know that was my bad if you ever want to gain a greater appreciation for how frequently this can happen especially at a little bit lower levels summer league is absolutely ridiculous about guards going to oh yes it's constant and and the big men just get completely hosed so it's it is good to see a to see a perimeter guy own it and when he deserved to yeah so let's get to another disappointing team we're going to talk about uh the clippers and kings oh jesus their game uh, last night which was an interesting one i i watched that one but first uh what are the fundamentals on the la clippers yipes the clippers are 7 11 2 and 4 since last time we did this they're 19th in offense or sorry 19th in net rating 13th in offense 18th in defense and the big news there in terms of beyond the fundamentals is the patrick beverly thing which i think we should talk about a little bit before the game just because i think it colored that game and so beverly had a, a, a really strange situation actually i think you can walk through the chronology of it a little better than i can so i'll toss it to you for that yeah so project uh, turner had a good piece on this that beverly apparently suffered this injury early in camp missed a bunch then came back to play you remember that he just hounded lonzo ball in that opener in, into a horrible game uh but continued to experience soreness and they shut him down for a while i think he missed five games then he came back uh, for that game against the knicks on monday and at the time he said he had the knee drain and he was feeling better and then one game after that he has a lateral meniscus repair and he has to have microfracture so what's the story there did he like injure it worse in that knicks game was there always damage that they knew about for a long time and they just like all right let's see if he could play through it because he's quote unquote not gonna hurt it worse which i never really find uh, particularly compelling when it has to do with your knee uh and so doc rivers said said he thought it would just be the meniscus it turned out to be a lot more so he's out for the season so something seems a little bit fishy about that that timeline there um and uh they're really gonna miss him danny they are in no 
no small part because they're also still without Milos Teodosic, who's dealing with a plantar fascia issue. And so that means that not they're not going from Patrick Beverly to some generic backup point guard. They're going from him basically to Lou Williams at the starting kind of one position. They're playing him with Austin Rivers and Blake, so their ball handling can get split around a bunch of different ways. And then they have Juwan Evans, their rookie, who's playing about 20 minutes a game in the more recent time, but coming coming off the bench because A, he's a rookie, and B, I don't think he's been good enough to start. You don't really need him with that. And their current starting five, so Lou, Austin Rivers, Wes Johnson, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan, despite starting two legit, you know, great players, they have a negative 20 net rating in 86 minutes. They've been absolutely worked by other teams starting fives, partially because they're just it's just not a group that has a high high success rate when you think about all of the weaknesses they have. Yeah, and Blake, his efficiency now uh, under the league average in terms of true shooting, and we'll talk about this in, in that Kings Clippers game, uh, but the Clippers, you know, only a negative 0.8 net rating, which is a lot better than their 7-11 record would indicate, and that's w- with winning a couple of games against the Hawks and Kings of late, but part of that is they've really, really struggled in the clutch. Blake Griffin was very effective. He took seven clutch shots in that first game against Portland, uh, but overall on the season, he's been, and then he also hit a big shot against the Kings late to win them that game, but basically other than those two, he's been almost over the clutch, and they are two and seven of those clutch games. He has 35% usage, but he only 35% shooting in the clutch. They have a negative 48 net rating in the clutch. Blake is only five out of 21, despite having two game winners. I mean, uh, he hit that game winning three against Portland, that game winner against Sacramento. So weird to say that like he's been bad in the clutch. Um, The thing that struck me, I watched all of his clutch shots was he's just, everything is self-created. I don't think a single shot that he took among those 21 was actually open. At best, he was like barreling into the lane and generally against someone who is his size and has to kind of throw up a hook shot as he's leaning into the guy. You know, it's not really a high percentage shot, not really getting to the foul line much at all either. But even when they had their guards healthy, it's just you don't have anyone else really dynamic enough to create a shot. Maybe it's Lou Williams a a little bit, but at the end of games, Lou, they're going to have a good defender on him. It's a lot harder for Lou when he's not going against second units, when he's the primary focus of the opposition's perimeter defense. Austin Rivers can get to the rim anytime he wants, but can't make a layup in an empty gym. And so I don't know how, and DeAndre Jordan, you know, they don't want to throw him the ball. He's not really an offensive threat. So I don't know how they're going to really improve their clutch offense. I mean, maybe they'll have a little bit, but even the shots that Blake is able to hit are extremely difficult. Look. Also worth noting, DeAndre Jordan is a talented offensive player, but if you're having Blake largely create for himself and DeAndre is still on the floor, DeAndre's guy is going to be in that mix as well. So even if Blake can barrel past his guy, there's often another defender there. And the guys that he's passing off to aren't really great shakes offensively either in terms of hitting open shots or creating for themselves. So a lot of negative cascading effects there. And after all those clutch struggles, though, they did end up beating the Kings not only through clutch play, but also through a gigantic third quarter because well, they... I, I shouldn't say that though, actually, because they led that game. Oh, that's right. To 85 with three minutes remaining. That's right. And I forgot Kings about the timing of that. Tie it. Yeah, the Kings came back to tie it with some just completely ridiculous shots from, from Healed. Buddy Healed, which were not like great shots. But then Blake finally, after that 10 0 run, uh, was able to score uh, on an incredibly difficult fadeaway over Colleystown, who I thought actually did a pretty nice job on him down the stretch. So it actually was emblematic of yeah. the continued I got, I got the e- struggles. I got the ebb and flow wrong because I was remembering Sacramento had that big lead. They were up 16 at halftime and the Clippers brought it all the way back. And I forgot that they established the lead before they lost the lead. Yeah, I mean, this was a, a weird 
weird game. I mean, Sacramento, for their part, uh, and we'll get to their fundamentals at the end of the year, but they're starting both point guards together, Fox and Hill, Garrett Temple at the three, and then Zach Randolph and Scal Labissier. I asked you, Labissier, sorry. Uh, I asked you to take a look because I, I theorized uh, that Randolph might play better with Scal, who can at least shoot it a little bit, than he has with Cauley Stein, but that hasn't really been the case, huh? It hasn't been, and we're dealing with a small sample already with Scal because it's only 66 minutes together. But yeah, his scoring and his effectiveness are largely the same. The, there's a, a drop in usage rate from about 26% to 21.7. But I think a portion of that is the fact that they've shifted to having two point guards in the starting lineup. I think that's probably part of it. And But that's a good thing for Zebo because he hasn't been that efficient offensively. So dropping his usage, hopefully, well, this probably isn't true in their case, but hopefully is giving <laughs> opportunities to, be, to guys who are more capable of creating positive offense. Yeah, I mean, I think the Kings' most effective offense to play in the half court right now might be like Zach Randolph picking and popping for a three. Except for Buddy Heald in the last two minutes of this game, maybe. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, even those were like, those were not good shots at all. I mean, he just, I mean, it's funny with Buddy, like, he just has so little explosion uh, and gets so little rise on his shot that he just has like no window to get it off. So he's got to just quick release it. And it always, when it goes in, it looks like, oh man, he just barely, barely got this shot off. But nonetheless, I mean, because he hit three, he hit four threes in the fourth quarter. He had 16 of his 27 in the fourth and all but one of those were just like were plays where he was just had no window and just like squeezed it off somehow a huge arc and, and got it going including the tying three against Blake Griffin on a switch and then they ran the last play for him to pop out for a three it looked like he actually had the opening DeAndre Jordan switched out and then Buddy is so limited athletically that you know I know Jordan can move his feet a little bit but Buddy like couldn't even come close to creating a shot against him he tried to drive and had to throw up a floater from 22 feet with his left hand because DeAndre was in position to block anything with his right and of course it, it airballed it and they lost um a few other notes on the kings you know randolph has been taking that pick and pop three i think that actually is a pretty decent shot for, for these guys because the kings are so eminently switchable and the clippers switch everything one through four um you know i know they gave up the 63 in the first half which i didn't watch as closely i watched more of the, of the second half um but this king's team just does not have ways to, to create efficient offense and then while i like the idea of hill taking a little bit of the pressure off of De'Aaron fox then jaeger takes both of them out five minutes into the half and he puts in frank mason and then mason had two turnovers and almost had a third that he was lucky just was called the king's ball as he lost it out of bounds uh jaeger took him out and then they were playing with garrett temple as the backup point guard for large portions of the second half so i think if you are going to have both those guys in the starting lineup staggering them so you have one of them on the floor though it's not like hill or fox has been in great shakes lately but having at least some kind of traditional point guard out there i think would be helpful for them and that ties in with the idea of roster management with this team too because they have three point guards which is nice i mean mason's not ready for prime time yet i i still do like what he could be theoretically long term but then it also ties in with their absolutely ridiculous big man rotation because they've been playing zebo and scal together and so if you're going to do the same basic approach of having those guys not stagger you're getting into some absolutely horrific big man second units yeah willie Cauley stein and kufos together and uh, napier and and jerry reynolds were fantastic in this one uh they really like i appreciate their approach to covering a bad team we, we talked about that on our mailbag of how we actually like watching those guys and at one point i mean i think early in the fourth quarter which is some of that four minutes was some of the worst basketball that i've watched this year uh where two points were scored total um the clippers had austin rivers Sandarius thornwell cj williams who i actually don't even really know who that is sam decker and Montrezl Harrell uh, versus 
versus Garrett Temple at the one, healed Bogdanovich, Kufos, and Kali Stein. And I think five possessions in a row devolved into either Kufos or Kali Stein trying to go one on one, the last of which, none of which scored, obviously. And then Kali Stein went into the lane, tried to like do a dream shake, and went into a, a jump hook that hit the backboard about three feet to the right of the rim. <laughs> at which point, <laughs> Napier, this is a direct quote, boy, oh boy, oh boy, I'm not even sure how to describe that. <laughs> and then Jerry is like, there is no description for that. And the, the other uh, little thing that they had too was uh, when Heald started heating up, Jerry called it, uh, said, it's been a healed of dreams <laughs> for Buddy in this fourth quarter. <laughs> they have time to work on their material, but they do a wonderful job with it. <laughs> And I, I mean, with Sacramento, I, I, this is a good time before we get into the fourth quarter to just p- give their fundamentals so you have it, because I think this helps set the, helps kind of set the story for parts of this. They are 5 and 14, 2 and 5 since the last time we did this. They have the league's worst net rating, negative 12.4, 29th in offense, and 26th in defense. Not only that, Danny, but a 5 and 14 team has actually been the luckiest team in the league uh, per cleaning the glass. They all actually have already like two. 2.5 more wins than their point differential would suggest yeah it's appalling they were actually they they led the entire league for most of the last two weeks and they narrowly lost that because of the loss to, to the loss of the clippers but the fact that a 5 and 14 team has has a greater has at least two more wins than you would expect with their point differential is astonishing like i i couldn't have even really planned on that before the season started another thing that really characterized the king's offense and they led by 16 as you mentioned at halftime and then they scored the first bucket and the last bucket of the third quarter and were outscored 29 to 6 in between those two baskets you'd see guys try to drive not really get by their man but think that they had forced help and then try to throw it to someone on the perimeter but they hadn't really like drawn the defense and so they tried to throw it to someone on the perimeter but you know whereas like okay if you're actually in a lot of basketball where it's like you've beaten your guy that guy has to help but they hadn't beaten their guy enough that there has to be help and they would just sort of get stuck going into traffic and have to throw it out to the perimeter like lob it over the guy because he was still covered or just you know they turned it over time and time again Lou Williams hit four threes in the period a lot of those off of transition plays so just and Fox really like the switching really got to him he wasn't able and especially because they're switchable and they have no spacing right so even you have limited one-on-one players trying to attack when you're playing two bigs and so the other team's two bigs are both in the lane and so even if you get what passes for a favorable matchup I mean Fox in theory could go by some guys on the perimeter there's just nowhere for him to go if he does beat and all that combines for a truly remarkable through about 20 games offensive profile for them so they're dead last in free throw rate and they are taking the most mid-range shots as a proportion of possessions in the league and the least threes and the least shots at the rip yeah so i mean i, I think probably it, for the next 15 and 60s i mean we're almost 20 games and now we're a quarter of the way through the season which is amazing to think about but we'll try to focus in on a little bit more of these players i think we've established that yeah. the kings are, are not a good basketball yeah. team yeah I think I think next week will be or two weeks from now will be De'Aaron Fox time. All right, where do you want to go next here? Should we just uh, move on to the Denver Nuggets? Yeah, let's do it. So the Nuggets are eleven and eight, three and three since the last time. They are above water, a plus zero point nine net rating, which is eleventh in the league, ninth in offense, nineteenth in defense, and they are having to 
reshuffle things now that Paul Millsap is out for an indefinite period of time, but at least a couple of months with his wrist ligament issue. He already had surgery. They said it was successful, as they always do. But I want to take a second to appreciate how good their default starting lineup was because they were just demolishing people. Yeah, that starting lineup, Murray, Harris, Chandler, Millsap, and Jokic, 12 at net rating in 224 minutes. We may not see that again until February or March with Millsap out now. And that's even with the struggles of Chandler and some except Murray, although he has rebounded. What have they been doing in the absence of Paul Millsap? They've played three games so far in his absence. So they've been starting Kenneth Reed at the four and playing him pretty pretty serious minutes. And then they've been giving a lot of the backup minutes to Trey Lyles. They have been playing Wancho, but they've largely been playing Wancho at the three. Wilson Chandler is having some back issues and also just they need somebody to be a backup three. So Wancho has gotten some minutes there. And something else that's been encouraging is that they, they have a 105 defensive rating in Jokic's minutes during these last three games. That is a little bit inflated because they played Sacramento and Memphis during the time, but they also played Houston. So you can think that the starter versus yeah, starter. And they stuff. got oh. completely destroyed. Absolutely. In that game. I mean, they were down 30 at halftime, gave up well over 70 points. Right. So I think overall, on a preliminary basis, I'm, I'm somewhat okay with that. And then the other big silver lining is that they've only played seven minutes of Jokic and Plumlee together since Millsap got hurt. That is far less than I had had feared. And we've, we've talked a little bit about Wilson Chandler, but it's, it's worth noting that especially now that Millsap's out, he's been playing with some pain and discomfort in his back. And they're going to need that because Denver just doesn't have the depth at the forward spots right now unless Richard Jefferson can be a more reliable contributor than he has been so far. So we'll have to keep an eye on Chandler because if he if he really gets to the point where he can't play, that's going to be an issue. But I'm a little bit more hopeful that they can just keep it afloat during this time. It kind of parallels for me what we saw with the Hornets without Batum. But the problem is this is going to be a longer absence. So we'll have to kind of keep a, keep a more meticulous eye on it. Yeah, but as we noted on Wednesday's show, the rest of the West uh, has fallen off so much that they still are looking in pretty decent position. For the playoffs, you mentioned Chandler. I'm concerned he took that one game off. He came back. Hopefully that will help him get right, but he may need some more time off. But remember, he can be a free agent at the end of the season. And Will Barton scored 25 points in the game that he didn't play. So if he's like, oh shit, I'm going to lose my spot, maybe he comes back and he comes back earlier. And so that could be an example of, you know, fear for his position uh, hurting him and hurting the team ultimately because he doesn't take the time off that he needs to get healthy. Um, one thing that I said the other day, which was, was correct at one point this season, but is not any longer, they are back to being awesome at offensive rebounding. And it's even before they brought Fareed back into the starting lineup. So uh, they are the best in the NBA now in offensive rebounds, but they also counteract that by being second worst in turnover percentage. And, and Jokic, for all his brilliance, some of the passes he tries that can be difficult. Moutier is still a, a high turnover guy. And when you move the ball a lot, when you pass it a lot, that does sometimes lead to more turnover. Uh, they also are really bad at defending the rim. Uh, the one good thing is that they're not fouling at all. Uh, in some cases, probably because they're not even close enough to foul. But at least that means that Jokic is staying on the court. That's one thing he's been able to avoid foul trouble more this year. But opponents are making a ton of shots against them. And they're actually forcing a, a lot of turnovers, which you never would have thought with this team. That's a, a big surprise. And then keeping opponents off the offensive glass and not fouling. So we'll see whether they can keep that up, that turnover percentage does seem uh, rather anomalous to me. And I wonder whether the some of the n- negatives in their defense at the rim is affected by their really high turnover rate because oftentimes you can get good looks there. So it might be that if they can tone that down a little bit that they 
can get some help on that and just take out some of the easiest buckets. But I- I'm just fascinated to see where this team goes. I mean, you never want to see a-, a good player go out, but now this gives other players an opportunity. I mean, we might see something offensively more like what they did before, and that's going to require a lot of Will Barton. And something we should just mention here is that Will Barton is still extension eligible. He is a free agent after the season, and he's basically eligible for the Josh Richardson contract. Whether or not he would accept that, whether or not it would be offered is a very different question, especially considering now Denver has committed a lot of money to Gary Harris, and they will presumably to Nikola Jokic in the very, very near future. So it's a possibility, but Will Barton has been good this year. Yeah, he, he no one ever would have thought that he could continue to shoot this well from three-point range three years ago when he signed that three-year deal at about three million per as a restricted free agent, which seemed like actually a pretty good, de- pretty good deal from his perspective at the time. But he, of course, has well outplayed that. We said before, if they offer him the Richardson, I think they should take it. I'm not sure that he's a starter. He's tried a little bit harder to my eyes on defense this year, and he's not being done any favors by having to play some three with this team just so they can get him on the floor. But he actually is second on this team in minutes, so they don't play a lot of guys a ton of minutes. The highest on the team actually is Harris at 32 ins, but he missed a couple of games. So that's part of why Barton played more than him. But they actually have six guys averaging 26 minutes or more. Part of that is because they've had injury, but it shows that they've had a pretty egalitarian system here. Jamal Murray is coming around league average true shooting up to 25% usage, not a, a ton of assists from him. And this is one of those ones where the stats, I've seen him throw some very nice passes, but in general, the stats do not support that he's a great passer. It's pretty low. He's 22nd percentile in assist percentage for a, a combo guard per cleaning the glass. Um, he's creating more of his own offense and he's shooting 70% at the rate. That's been the biggest thing that surprised even me who was high on him as, as a prospect, his ability to move the ball around and finish at the rim. But the other thing that's really surprised me the most is he's only shooting 29% from three. But everything I think is working pretty well. They've been much better offensively with him on the floor than Moutier. He's trying a little harder on D, still going to be a liability there. He and Jokic as a 1-5 combination is probably going to be rough for much of their careers defensively. Um, and Moutier also is playing better, but a lot of that is the fact that he's shooting 43% from three. And while I respect that he has certainly improved his stroke, I don't think that that is going to continue. Uh, you know, I think he's going to settle in around like if I had to project his three point percentage for the rest of the year, I'd guess like 35. Yeah. And he is only shooting 50% at, at, at the rim. So it's kind of the reverse of Jamal Murray where they'll probably get, he'll probably get better at one and worse at the other. It's just the opposite order. But to Moutier's credit, he is getting to the free throw line more, which is good and important for his success. So even if, even though he's not getting to the rim as much, just, just to put other teams in, in a little bit more trouble. And something else that I, I think is pretty interesting with him, and this is reflective of Denver's system, is that he is getting assisted on 51% of his made shots, which is very, very high for a point guard. But they have centers, not only in Jokic, but in Mason Plumlee, who have the ball in their hands more than the ever center. Yeah, Moody is not running a, a ton of, of high pick and roll. Let's get to Golden State, 15-5, and 5-2 five, five and two with high-profile losses to Boston and OKC, which were very much in the playbook of how to beat Golden State. I mean, I think that those two teams outside of the Warriors probably have the most defensive talent in the league. We might not have said that about Boston coming in, but they certainly have played uh, to a level where uh, and in, in that Warriors game as well, which we talked about, of course, the day that it happened. What are your takeaways from Golden State's side of that OKC loss, Danny? Well, I think that when they're when they're facing teams that are engaged and athletic, they will have some problems. And Kevin Durant has been dealing with, like, I mean, he was dealing with the ankle issue. That was the only game he played in of the last yeah. five, I believe. And, and he did not look right in that no. game. You could 
see him try to make moves and just was not getting the separation. So I think that was that was a part of it. And it's also just going to be true for me that while there are some benefits on the other end, just because Pachulia can keep good centers off of the offensive glass and certain things like that, he gives defenses an out. And I think that's going to be a lingering, a lingering problem for, for certain moments for the Warriors. And Oklahoma City attacked that at moments. They were able to leave him open and, and get some get some rough patches. And I think that's a little bit of a concern more so than the shots not falling on a given night or Kevin Durant not looking right. Because while that is entirely possible in the playoffs, you don't expect that on at each game. Yeah, and their statistical profile, they're actually second in net rating in terms of non-garbage time for cleaning the glass. They've killed teams in garbage time, actually, which in market contrast to past years with uh, guys like Nick Young and McCaw and Jordan Bell, guys who are probably overqualified for garbage time units. Um, and then their offense actually is down to second as well. I mean, you remember, I think even the last time we did this, they're like four points per 100 ahead of anybody else in terms of their offensive rating. And then they've fallen off with those two rough gains against Boston and and OKC. And Houston is just absolutely on fire lately. I mean, they've been putting up like, they put up that 90 point quarter against the, or half against the Suns. They put up like 70, I think in multiple first halves aside from that as well. I mean, since Chris Paul came back, they've absolutely been destroyed. We'll talk more about that momentarily. So I think once KD comes back, you're right Danny I think that in the playoffs against a really good team and maybe it's Houston especially if they start Zaza against Houston that those minutes could end up being a bit of a problem and I don't mean to diminish Zaza he actually was outstanding against DeMarcus Cousins on Saturday night he was but totally took Cousins out of the game and even defended him pretty well one-on-one on the perimeter it wouldn't let him get deep post position either in the pick and roll against the best teams I mean he as you mentioned gives them a place to attack and then you know offensively they just aren't nearly as good when he's on the floor because he just can't catch passes he can't power up and finish inside uh, against really good teams. and something else you wanted me to look into or just ask me about what's been different about the offense and one of the big swings is is just their effectiveness from three and again this ties in with some of the with the games Durant has missed and also just Curry missing every almost every single shot in the first half against New Orleans so in the first part of the season they were shooting 41.5 percent from three which was unreasonably good they were 38 three last year which is very strong and they've been at 35 after that so I think they're going to be somewhere between the two but that helps explain a lot of the offenses is just that they're they're taking similar shots and I wouldn't say the threes they're missing now are substantially worse than the ones they were making before before. It's just that they're not going in. It's the way the season goes. So I'm not particularly worried about those those kind of issues with this team. And I mean, I am a little bit just with the second unit offense. But again, all that stuff is going to be totally different because one of the things we're not seeing at all from the Warriors this year, other than in certain situations narrowly when they've been challenged, is we're basically not seeing Draymond Green at center at all. They're playing traditional centers almost the entire game, even though they have the wings to pull it off just because they know it wears them out more and they don't really care about the regular season that much. Yeah, Curry's foul trouble has also been an issue that caused problems against Boston and OKC uh, but overall he's turning it over less uh is shooting it poorly from three as he did last year but you know we may have to wonder are, are the days of Steph Curry shooting 43 44 45 percent from downtown are those over you know he's 
at I think you know barely over 40 percent last year and he still is a wonderful offensive player just because of the terror that he inflicts but he's not scoring quite as efficiency efficiently as he had from the field but has been getting to the foul line a, a lot more he's been fouled on 12 percent of his shot attempts that's a three percent higher than his previous career bat best thanks to Liam for that research another thing that you noted is that he plays much better without Pachulia on the floor in terms of his own individual statistics uh but part of that I think is a little bit of selection bias you said that sure Pachulia plays at the beginning of quarters so they're not in the bonus and then the other thing to note too is that when Curry and Pachulia play together aside from these last couple of games KD is always on the floor too so Curry is going to have less of the ball in his hands in pick and roll Curry really gets turbocharged towards the end of quarters you know when he's not in foul trouble by forcing misses bringing it up in transition using those drag screens and when both Clay and Durant are out of the game for those last four minutes or so uh well KD will stay in for a little bit longer uh but when Curry is in without those guys that's when he really goes in overdrive well that's what he's been doing the last couple of games too I mean that didn't necessarily work in that first quarter against New Orleans but he had a huge stretch in that game and then he had another one earlier in the homestand against the Bulls where he just annihilated them he had 25 points in a single quarter in the second actually because he had that foul trouble and we see those moments more often when Durant is not on the floor because Stephen Curry can be that guy and he's not going to do it every single time out like he did basically in the 2015-16 season but he still has some of that in him a lot of it in him and so those performances are more common now and that's why uh, for the people who are interested in this Anthony Slater wrote a great piece for The Athletic about why Durant is playing more with Curry and it's basically because that's what Durant wants because he likes to do what Curry does where he plays the whole first quarter it's not really about playing with Steph it's just that's the way he likes to get into a rhythm and so basically what Kerr has done is he's trying to make both guys happy by doing that and then they're having some sacrifices on the second unit because of that but it is leading to these dynamics where Curry is getting less time to really to really show it and you know I mean having those two former MVPs out there is certainly beneficial but we're seeing in these couple games that you know Curry does still have at least a portion of his fastball left I want to get to the Houston Rockets talk about how they're playing with Chris Paul since his return but first this from our friends at Movement Rogers all of your gift giving anxiety can disappear at the press of a button Movement Watches make amazing gifts no doubt if you're a listener you already have your own but now if you consider getting one for your significant other or someone else in your life they have great women's watches as well my fiance has one my mom has one she bought some for my cousins her nieces I really enjoy the style of minimalism I, I particularly like their 40 series 40 millimeter which is a little bit smaller what I recommend you do is just go to mvmt.com movement.com slash cap space that'll get you 50% off but also it'll just take you to the page where they have all their watches and scroll through there and see if there's something you like I think you'll be incredibly surprised at the type of quality that's available movement watches started just $95 and in my opinion they look like they cost hundreds more they're able to get you that great price by selling online they cut out the middleman and that retail markup providing the best possible price if you're an international listener they've sold over a million watches in over 160 countries great way to support the show as well so once again the way to get started with them free shipping and free returns 15 percent off today by going to movement.com mvmt.com slash cap space go to movement.com mvmt.com slash cap space for 15 percent off join the movement so danny this houston team has really really been impressing me since the return of chris paul they've been absolutely fabulous before that and especially now 15 and 4 overall 4 and 1 since the last 15 and 60 league's best net 
rating, plus 12, number one offense, number seven defense. And so Chris Paul has been, you know, he's still getting all the way back, but the way that they've looked, not only with the two of them together, where they've been solid, but do you want to give the the stat of how they've done with Chris Paul without James Harden, or do you want me to? Oh, please. Their net rating in those 29 minutes is plus 78.3. Yeah, and they completely killed the Suns. I mean, I think they went on like a 23 to 6 run when Harden was out in that 90 point first half. Uh, 16.2 net rating overall for Paul. He has 50 field goal attempts and 51 assists, but it's not like he's shying away. I mean, he's just his assist rate when he's out there has just been absolutely ridiculous. He, when he does try to score, 48% of his possessions come in pick and roll. He's at 9 out of 22 there. He is taking 50% of his shots from behind the three point line, and Harden is taking 52% of his shots from behind the three point line. And so both those guys completely unafraid to pull up if you go under, if you back off even a little bit. Paul hasn't been completely eschewing the mid range. He has taken 18 twos outside the restricted area. A lot of those in floater range has not been very efficient on those. He does have 11 points on his six spot up possessions, which we're going to see more of from him as well. They've been easing him back in so far. Hasn't played a ton of minutes yet, um, but really it looks fantastic. And then I mean, I think what's most impressive though, all right, you know, to be number one in offense is pretty good. Um, and by the way, if you look at the NBA.com rankings, they're actually number two and, and Golden State is number one. That's because Golden State's garbage time offense is good and Houston has nine guys on their team. So whenever they go to garbage time, which they've played plenty of lately, uh, they can't score at all. But the number seven defense is remarkable for this team. And if they can continue to defend at that type of a level, that makes them a real threat, I think. It does. And that was the ceiling that I believed in before the season, basically as soon as they signed PJ Tucker and Luke Richard and Bob Mute. And I want to take a quick moment to, to talk about how they've done in those minutes. And yeah, they haven't. Uh, so they've played 338 minutes together and the Rockets have a 90. Yeah, th- this is Tucker, Tucker, Tucker and, and Luke Rashad and Bob Mute. So they have a 95 defensive rating with those guys out there. And that's fantastic. It's, it's also, I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's a small sample size. 338 is, it's a fair amount, but 112 offensive rating is, is great. Luke and Bob Mute is shooting 43% from three in those minutes. Tucker's shooting a little below 30%, but he's grabbing a ton of rebounds, which has been very important. And the most common of those lineups has only played 54 minutes, but it's those two along with Ariza Harden and Nene, which is just a, a fascinating combination of five basketball players with a lot of a lot of different strengths, a lot of switchability. You have enough ball handling with Harden and then just spacing around him. Yeah, Nene has missed some time with a, a foot injury. Then he has a, a shoulder injury right now, not believed to be serious, but when he's been out there, they've been absolutely fantastic. His screening and then still his ability to finish at the rim uh, in his mid-30s impressive. I mean, pretty amazing to think that Nene was the number seven pick in 2002. Do you remember who else the Nuggets drafted that year with him? They had the five pick and the seven pick. I do not. Was it? That was Nikolaj That's what That was going to be my guess. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, but it wasn't. What, why did you Why did you back off? We can't believe it. I thought he, he was, was taken. I, I thought he was like, taken fourth. Mean? Honestly, that's what it was. I thought he, I thought he was taken fourth. So I thought it was the year before or something like that. But let, let's, yeah, take, a, let's take a quick moment to appreciate. I mean, we talked about Chris Paul, but Harden, I don't want to go through his whole numbers. I did compile all of the crazy stuff. PER just under 30, number one in the league in usage. And per 36, he's leading the league in 
in scoring, third in assists behind Rondo and Russell Westbrook. And he's doing all that with a career high in three-point attempt rate, as you mentioned, above 51%, which is insane, but also career high makes 39%. And he's doing all that despite his free throw rate dropping. And what something that I'm wondering about is whether that is partially attributable or wholly attributable to the changes in officiating that the, they kind of were narrowly, they weren't narrowly targeted, but they were, you know, inspired by him. And so the fact that he has been as productive as he has been with that shift is awfully impressive. By the way, kudos to the league and the competition committee. Uh, even though we talked about what the actual definition was that of these calls, where if you haven't actually gathered the ball by the time the contact occurs, it's a non-shooting foul. And they've actually like gone beyond that technical definition, I think, and really are just waving those calls off. And I absolutely love it. It's fantastic. I'm, I'm so happy uh, that we are not subjected to these bullshit shooting fouls, especially from three anymore. It really has improved the game immensely. Let's get to LA. Eight and 11, three and three since the last 15 and 60. Hanging out uh, on the fringes of the playoff race with some of these teams, the Clippers, Memphis, uh, really struggling. Negative 1.6 net rating. That's 21st in the NBA. They have the 28th ranked offense and the fifth ranked defense, which is certainly, that might be the most surprising unit ranking in the NBA in terms of like offense or defense. Absolutely. Though there are some serious signs that it could, that it could fade. Most notably being that teams or opponents are only shooting 32.7% on threes. And if that even gets to league average, it's going to take a big chunk out of it. But they are in the, I think their opponents are in the bottom half in attempts there. So that is a little bit of a, that's actually more than a little bit of a positive. But I think where you want to start here is with Lonzo, right? Yeah, I I think that's just what people are interested in. I'll just give you his stats. 37% true shooting, 10.3 PR. It's actually incredibly impressive to have as high as a 10.3 PR with 37% true shooting. 18% usage, right about where he was at UCLA. That was one of the things that made him so weird as a prospect. And when you consider how poorly he's shooting, usually guys like that will have a pretty high turnover percentage. And it is pretty high, 18%, but it's not so awful for a rookie. Uh, Definitely an excellent defensive rebounder, 18% defensive rebound rate. He is taking 43% of his shots from downtown and basically never gets to the line. He has only taken 28 free throw attempts on the year, so less than two per game, pretty close to one per game. What is having him out there do? Oh, oh, and one more thing too, 42% from the free throw line. That is, uh, I mean, granted, only 28 attempts, but that is definitely, and he shot very poorly from the foul line in college as well. So the further, and then you also consider that, you know, I think he shot like 29% on threes at the lower levels in the games the Draft Express database had access to. And so when you consider all that, the free throw shooting, his three-point shooting this year, even I think at Chino Hills, he was only in like the mid-30s. So, you know, he takes those impressively deep attempts. But I think it's pretty clear that he's not a good enough shooter right now. That 41% at UCLA is a massive aberration. And God, hard to, hard to imagine, like if he, what if he had just shot like 33% on threes last year at UCLA? There's no way he's the number two pick, right? I sincerely doubt it. I mean, especially when you look at how strong the other point guards in this class were. I mean, we're seeing a lot of these guys, De'Aaron Fox, Smith, Frank, when he's gotten some time. I don't think, I'm not saying Frank would have gone over Alonzo. He wouldn't have, but the other two certainly could have. No, he has had some positive effects Oh yeah, on the floor when he's been out there. Yeah, I mean, he's a, a wonderful rebounder for a point guard. He's, a, I think he's in the top 10 percentile in, in terms of both offensive rebounding and defensive rebounding. He is keying when the Lakers run. They're running a lot more with him out there than when he is not out there. That's also not a surprise when you consider kind of who his backups are and everything else like that. And, you know, he's, he's a great passer. And I think he's been better overall defensively than 
I thought he would be. And Kevin Pelton wrote this good piece, I think it was about a week ago for ESPN, basically about how Lonzo is providing the value even the optimists thought he might outside of his shooting but his shooting has been so bad that it's like kind of how do you how do you take that part of it along with everything else yeah and if you want to talk about can this guy be like an okay point guard someday yeah okay maybe i could buy that but man i just he's got to be a 40 percent three-point shooter to be a great player and it's just all of the evidence other than that very small sample size shooting at ucla uh points against that let's go back to their defense another reason why you might say that they they could regress is they're giving up a ton of shots at the rim and opponents are shooting pretty poorly on those 61 percent which is uh in the bottom quartile of the league and they are at least preventing three-pointers so that's a reason to think even if they do make a few more so you know i think they this is a team that could be average on defense i, mean, I think kcp has really helped to change their culture defensively and lonzo has been solid as a help defender and he's not great one-on-one but he'll at least like deny out on the perimeter and and make it harder for teams to run their offense Brand Brandon Ingram has been better. Now, he's not blocking a ton of shots or getting a ton of steals. I mean, he's averaging less than a steal and less than a block per game, but he's becoming a better transition defender, or I'm sorry, a better help defender, a better position defender, and he just takes up a lot of space in there. You know, even if he's not actually getting deflections, just standing there, I mean, he's pretty tall too. He's got those big arms. Like, he's just almost a visual deterrent for the opposition. Uh, The one thing to watch, though, is that when Kyle Kuzma comes in, I mean, Kuzma, just to give his stats 37 percent from three he's averaging 17 points a game and is fourth on the team in minutes per game 32 minutes per game uh tops by far uh, among their bigs and it'll be very interesting as to with larry nance returning uh, where kuzman's role is i mean i think he still needs to play more uh but he he's pretty atrocious defense he is and that makes it a challenge when you're dealing with the rest of the roster i mean going from larry nance to kuzma teams can attack him more aggressively they can also run more which is a little bit of a concern considering he shoots more threes but that's kind of something to think about moving forward in terms of what Kuzma's ideal role is is yeah he can be a very very productive offensive player during the time that he has been the starter he's averaging you said talked about he's averaging 17 a game for the season he's averaging 18 a game as a starter which is really impressive getting to the line about four times a game and yeah so like I guess you could argue that the positives outweigh outweigh the negatives there but you need to consider that and also think that affects the way that you think about the remainder of the roster because because, you know, Brooke Lopez might be their center. You know, maybe they can do the, the room exception thing we've talked about before. But you, you're going to want to have a good defensive center with him out there if, if he's going to be your starter. Yeah, and he has a very low foul rate. But as Ben Falk theorized, and I agree, in his case, that means that he's so far away that he's just not there and he's not trying when he is there. Um, Julius Randle also having a nice season, 24% usage, 59% true shooting. That is certainly a, a valuable offensive player. Uh, we could say that he's been better than Kuzma defensively and it's really hard to be too too critical of just about anybody's defense on this team considering how well they've defended overall have you seen anything from Randall to indicate that you know he's a guy who might get a significant offer in restricted free agency next year not really he's certainly a talented player I see him as a as a guy that a lot of teams would like but that there are so few that have market like if he was if he was a restricted free agent in 2016 or maybe even 
2015 when teams just thought, oh, there are no bad contracts. Like I, th- I could totally have seen somebody do it, but this year there just are not that many options. And I think a lot of those could be spoken for even by the time almost any restricted free agents hit. So he's competing with guys like Aaron Gordon and Aaron Gordon has showed more than he has. And Randall could get, you know, if, if you consider the, the non-taxpayer mid-level exception, a significant amount of money, I could certainly see him, you know, teams being interested at that sort of range, but that's entirely different than I think what he was hoping for. Let's get to Minnesota. I watched their game against Phoenix today. What are their fundamentals? They are 12 and 8, 5 and 3 since last time we did this, but they have a negative net rating. Negative 0.8 puts them 18th, and that is because while they are 15th in offense, they are 27th in defense. Yeah, and even against Phoenix today, they struggled a little bit defensively. That was a Phoenix team that was playing without Devin Booker, and we'll loop Phoenix into this discussion as well. But the Wolves uh, being 12 and 8 is not bad, and I really think we should talk a little bit about the season that Taj Gibson is having. I was critical of Thibodeau signing him to that two-year $28 million deal. Thought, hey, they need some more shooting on the floor. Well, they're fifth in offense. You know, they the hope was that all this individual talent would be enough to make up for the fact that Taj is not the biggest threat, but he actually has looked more spry as the season's gone on. Had a couple of nice finishes inside today, and they've defended at about a league average rate when he's been in there, and then when they go to Jang, when they go to Bielitsa, or basically whenever they have Carl Towns on the floor without Gibson, it gets to be pretty bad. Towns actually negative 1.5 net rating. A lot of these other guys are well into the positive. Uh, and also worth noting about their fundamentals that the two games that Butler missed are when they got completely blown out, although they also got worked by Miami at home over the weekend. They lost by 20 and only scored like 80 points. Miami starting to play a little better. What have we seen uh, from Andrew Wiggins so far this year? So Wiggins is, you know, he's around league average and true shooting 53% has a 23 usage rate which is I think more in line with what I'm comfortable with from him would you agree with that 23 I mean I maybe yeah, I don't, you know I mean he's he's been around like 30 yeah. the last couple of years I and with this team you could argue he should be a little bit lower than that just because if he's going to play with Jimmy and with Towns those guys should be getting the lion share but realistically 23 is, is totally fine it's nice that he's taking more shots from three just because that is eventually going to need to be a part of his repertoire and it's nice that he's shooting 75 percent at the rim however 75 percent of the rim feels unsustainable to me and 27 percent from three right now is not good enough to keep teams honest i think that the that the, at least the three-point numbers should get better and even if a little bit goes off at the rim i i, I don't know i'm feel i guess i'm feeling a little bit a little bit more comfortable with that part of it but again like the idea of giving him the full max extension right now like if I, this season would not have made me feel more comfortable about, like about having him having signed him to that already no uh, i'm in full agreement there you had to note in here about like part of why it is that they're so bad defensively teams are running on them an absolute ton so they have the highest opponent transition frequency so basically teams are running more and converting shots off of steals and live rebounds on them more than any other team in the entire league which leads to the second highest overall opponent transition frequency even though it's not like they're so egregious at like turning the ball over they're not necessarily doing the things that lead to and they're fifth in offense they're not doing the things that lead to transition it's just that so many of those opportunities are becoming actualized that it's a problem for them and they're 19th and half court defense which is you know not great but certainly not terrible but they're only there you know they're fourth lowest in in the proportion of the time that that happens so that's a big problem yeah and while they've gotten on the offensive glass they're sixth in the nba 24.8 percent that's not dominating enough and i think 
you know, I haven't done this research, but my guess would be that when you play two traditional bigs, both A, because those guys are more inclined to go to the offensive glass, and B, because those guys just are slower and they don't run back as quickly, C, because those guys don't cover the three-point line as well in transition, and D, just because you're not going to score as well generally with two traditional bigs on the floor, and then therefore will be facing more opponent transition opportunities because you've just missed a shot. I imagine that playing two traditional bigs is usually bad for your transition defense. Now, it's usually better for your overall defense, and the Spurs have shown that to be true. One last note on how they're doing it offensively. Not shooting incredibly well from the field. They are 29th in three-point attempt rate, league average in three-point percentage, but then they never turn it over, which is impressive. Butler, Wiggins, that's one of the, the things that he does well. He'll take a jump shot before he turns it over. Carl Towns is a low tur- turnover player. And then they're getting to the foul line at a fantastic rate. And we mentioned they've been solid on the offensive glass. So despite being 17th in field goal shooting, they are that fifth ranked defense that you mentioned. I'm sorry, fifth ranked offense that you mentioned. A few thoughts on them from today's game. They really struggled to contain Mike James early, but then were able to get it together late. Uh, they got a lot of pick sixes. The, the turnovers, that's the one thing that they actually have been pretty good at defensively uh, is forcing turnovers and actually not fouling as well. It's interesting. This will be something to watch too, right? We noted that Denver doesn't foul a ton. I think if you have a star offensive big man who's not named DeMarcus Cousins, your team, because DeMarcus just you know can't avoid foul trouble to save his life. When a guy is more focused about just, on not fouling and just staying on the court, that maybe you don't foul that much, but also that maybe that might not be good overall for your defense because the guy just isn't as aggressive. And, and Town struggled defensively in this one. He had a couple of plays where he showed more effort getting out on the perimeter. Remember, Devin Booker didn't play in this game. Uh, Troy Daniels was cooking them for a time, and so uh, Towns did okay when he would get screened for getting out on the perimeter, helping, and then recovering back to his man. He also had one just completely comical play that Tibbs is apoplectic about, where he helped, the ball got thrown out to the corner, and then his man, Monroe, was standing on the opposite side of the lane, and Towns just stood on the near side block, and someone drove and just threw it to Monroe, and Towns just never reacted back to Monroe at all, and it was like, you could hear him say the broadcast, oh shit, and Tibbs was just like yelling at him, it was pretty funny, but he just had like zero awareness whatsoever. Jim Pearson was noting on the broadcast that he defends a ton of shots at the rim, but really just is not effective blocking shots, which is just so weird for anyone who saw his film in college to think that, that he just, you know, whether it's a lack of aggressiveness or he just, we saw it wrong in college or what, but I mean, guys like Troy Daniels were just like going right at him and finishing over him. It's really, you know, the lack of awareness and then the inability to really get his body in front of the play, use verticality. It's very disappointing for him. We talked a lot about his defense. Um, This was probably the best game of Tyus Jones's career. He was out saying, you watched some of this game, right? Yeah, well, I watched pieces of it. I mean, it was funny you talked about Tyus Jones' performance. I was still thinking about Mike James because he was just absolutely torching them for portions of this. But yeah, Tyus Tyus had a good game. Are you, wait. Yeah, his his line, plus 22, nine points, seven assists, seven steals, and two block shots. Uh, Pretty, the the steals in particular, I mean, he had a play on Josh Jackson where Josh Jackson was dribbling up, tried to attack and transition to be aggressive and Jones just cut right in front of him and picked his pocket. Uh, Jackson really struggled. Again, he was only two out of 10, but, and I really liked his pick and roll passing. I think it was the first start of his career. He played 39 minutes and something to watch here too, that Wolves starting unit. Jeff Teague was out with Achilles soreness and Bielitsa didn't play. He's dealing with a foot sprain right now, but in 41 minutes for Wiggins, 39 for Towns, 39 for Jones. Butler only played 36, but that's just because they had a unit that was working pretty well at the start of the fourth without him. And then only two guys played double digit 
minutes off the bench Jamal Crawford and Gorgie Jang and all of those guys were negative six or worse uh Shabazz Muhammad just continues to look absolutely horrendous on both ends this year something else we should mention just in the context for this game is that Devin Booker didn't play he had inflammation in his right big toe and that really killed a lot of the elements of of Phoenix's offense especially with their starting five because their starting lineup in this game was Euless, Josh Jackson, TJ Warren, Greg Monroe, and Tyson Chandler. That is, it, it is hard to think of a like a more kind of old school lineup than that. I mean, you have your defensive two that can't shoot. You're playing two bigs together, and Monroe probably had some Detroit flashbacks. TJ Warren, who can't really shoot threes, but is a wonderful offensive player, and then Tyler Euless, who is what five five seven. Yeah, actually, Aaron Brooks uh, got shot a pull-up jumper over him with the height advantage, which was probably the one the one time in the last 10 years Aaron Brooks has enjoyed the height advantage on somebody. Let's move to Phoenix here. We can talk about their fundamentals later, but you, you mentioned that two-big lineup. They got smoked at home on Friday by New Orleans. I think part of why they started that two-big lineup was so that they could match up with AD and Cousins, and then, again, it was two traditional bigs, but I mean, the lack of shooting was very difficult, and Phoenix was able to get back into it uh, with James who had 12 points on five of five in the first quarter and then it kind of dropped off a, a little bit after that and James has been a nice story he's looked pretty good but also you know 46 percent true shooting in the year and not making up on defense let's not we don't need to go crazy about him I think he deserves to have his two-way converted into an NBA contract but he's not looking like you know significantly above a minimum guy uh, Alex Len did not play at all that Monroe trade is really going to hurt him he's got to be rooting for Monroe to get retraded as quickly as possible um Marquise Chris has really been slumping lately. We actually noted that he had been shooting well from three, but he is now down to 49% true shooting and 33% from three. So he's dropped from 41% to 33% just over the last two weeks. So he has really been off and is shooting 39% on the season. And he played some at center. He played some with Bender. They even matched up Bender with Carl Towns, which didn't go too well for them. Uh, Bender did hit a couple of nice pick and pop threes in this game. But the two things I think for him to be you know a quality starting power forward is he's got to be this force defensively and we haven't seen that from him quite yet with the switching uh, blocking shots etc you know he's just kind of a guy out there he can kind of move his feet and maybe stay in front of the guy but he's not a force you know who's, who's really ever making anybody uncomfortable and then this isn't the team to do it but you'd like to see him eventually do more offensively than just hanging out at the three-point line and, and shooting so that's uh not a team where that's going to creatively involve him in the office right and his shot distribution before today's game I don't have that incorporated is that he's really shifted some shots from the rim from deep two and from the corner to above the break threes and that's good for deep twos that's bad for shots at the rim just because you want to get him nor especially because he doesn't get to the free throw line much so he's just becoming more of a guy who's hanging out the perimeter it is good that he's improved his three-point shot a lot he went from 25 percent above the break last year to 33 this year and so his overall his overall rating has gone has gone up there too and similarly Marquise Chris has had a, a pretty similar shift where he's getting he's getting less shots at the rim and deep twos and converting those to threes generally speaking that's a good thing but he is i mean he's only shooting 12 percent on the season on long twos that is that, that's a little bit of a problem even though you don't want to take those shots you still want to hit more than 12 percent of them and yeah you, you said that's chris right like yeah that's chris the thing the thing that appealed to him about or, or uh appealed to me about him in college was i thought maybe he could be a force turning and facing beating 
smaller smaller players in the post or attacking larger players off the dribble and if you can't just turn and face it and hit a jump shot or if you're going to turn it over like he had one of the more blatant travels as he tried to do a spin move one of those quick spins to the baseline out of the post that was his one post opportunity today it's really he's got to show those flashes of amazing offensive talent because i think he's just he's never going to get it intelligence wise pattern recognition wise and we just have not seen that type of efficiency i mean he shot it well for you know three weeks start of the season but other than that efficiency one-on-one moves we just haven't seen it for him so i mean if i had to guess i think it's more likely that he's you know if not out of the league out of the rotation in five years than that he's like a quality starting player i would agree with that just so we have the fundamentals on the broadcast seven and 14 two and five since the last one of these they're 28th in net rating negative 8.4 26th in offense 28th in defense yeah, and after that uh, brief, not really a renaissance because they haven't been good since, well, I guess you could say they were good in 2014. Yeah. Uh, but after after the brief sans, shall we say, uh, with under Jay Triano, Triano really, and, and granted Booker was out, but he's really kind of seemed to be reaching, starting a bunch of different guys. Like he didn't play Jared Dudley at all. And then Dudley kind of brought them back a little bit and, and ended up playing like the last 16 minutes or so of the game. Dudley is still their best power forward on, on the roster. By the way, he returned from some knee soreness after he had that toe surgery in the offseason but it seems like now pretty soon whatever chance he had of getting the job on a full-time basis like they've settled in now at 7 and 14 they're starting to get blown out again so it's back to business as usual and maybe that at least means that he'll start trying to play some younger guys we'll see what happens with Monroe and Dudley Monroe seems like probably more likely a buyout candidate than that they're gonna ever get anything for him in trade certainly they are not and what they really need to be doing is just starting him at center and playing some spacing around him but they don't have the passing really to use him as a pick and roll guy or the spacing to post him up and so this isn't a gr- i mean it's nice to have him as a guy who's more capable offensively than a lot of the guys they've had but if you're going to start him with tyson chandler you're not exactly showcasing him uh, for a trade would put it that way you are not uh you ready to move on to new orleans yeah the pels are 11 and 9 4 and 3 since we last checked in on them 0.8 net rating that is 13th in the nba 14th ranked offense 14th ranked defense what did you think of them seeing them in person against golden state on saturday night well they had this great first quarter when until the last two minutes drew holiday and etuan moore had all of their points i think they had the first 25 for them and then anthony davis had three baskets late and holiday was hitting some tough shots he was also playing good defense you know it was kind of one of those like this is how good when everything's going for them even though rondo was a negative on both ends of the floor for me he was they they didn't have to defend him offensively and then defensively he was losing his guy all the time it's just that his guy was often clay thompson was missing shots you know it's funny it's funny actually i i was texting with the someone who works in the league who is actually a rondo believer um and he's oh you know is is the usual stuff about him you know i certainly wasn't convinced but but you know about how he changes the game and then you know i was talking to a warriors player too who really likes his game a lot he made the point that like he was outstanding in those first two games for chicago last year and, and then he thrives on chaos was the the statement that that player made uh and i thought rondo actually did play better defensively after the first quarter when he he just got lucky that the warriors missed a bunch of open shots when he made defensive mistakes but i mean he was 0 for 8 in that game and on the season he was 0 for 9 he missed a shot right before the buzzer oh yes thank you sorry i i uh (laughs) i missed that one But, But, but his net rating on the season 
is negative 12.0 uh 116 defensive rating and so they are 12 points per 100 possessions worse on defense when he is out there uh he's played six games now 120 minutes and they've been winning but certainly no thanks to him at least in terms of uh the on-off stats and well he actually has hit some shots before that game uh certainly the Warriors were not guarding him and he passed up multiple <laughs> multiple layups as well um I I think that at some point either they're gonna have to play him less or they're gonna just fall off when he's on the floor because I I don't think that a good team can have a successful offense and then he also really struggles most games defensively I think he he brought it because oh he was so motivated you know towards the end of that Warriors game but in general just dies on every screen and causes a lot of problems that way and just you know he used to be such a tough defensive player and now he just like gives up and you know his foul rate is extremely low because he just you know will go for the matador reach around or just if he gets posted up he just kind of backs out of the way and and it's uh you know i was hopeful that that he could help and it did seem like drew holiday felt at least a little emboldened to shoot more because he was playing with rondo but outside of that i'm uh i'm very skeptical that they're going to play well with him on the floor the rest of the year you brought up his net rating it's also worth noting he's played 80 percent of his minutes with anthony davis so they're below water they're below water and he's playing with one of the best guys in the league well and also worth noting here too that of the guys who are really in their rotation ian clark has played 272 minutes he actually is didn't play until the last like five minutes or so of that game when it was kind of out of reach already um i think if uh alvin gentry's former head coach in golden state and former gm in phoenix steve kerr had been at the helm he certainly would have played clark who got presented his championship ring before the game just because kerr is emotionally intelligent like that he would have found him at least a few minutes in the first half but clark negative 5.5 net rating and then everyone else on the team is negative 0.8 or above and especially with just ad on the floor they've been really good they had that nasty run uh, against okc after they trailed by 20 early when cousins was thrown out of the game for that elbow to russell westbrook's head uh and so they came did most of that comeback with just ad by himself without cousins on the floor um what else stood out to you about the pels in this game it was another reminder that each Moore is a solid a solid wing more of a guard wing in that way but he can you know he can do what you need him to do defensively hit open shots offensively and new orleans needs those guys in the worst way they just need a couple of more and it's unfortunate that he's so much of a two just because there are fewer threes than there are twos but he's a valid contributor there i thought davis had a few stretches where he was absolutely unstoppable got draymond green in foul trouble i know draymond had some issues with some of the calls but still they were there and then the hilarity of basically cousins and green being in simultaneous foul trouble including fouling each other a series of times was amusing where it was like these two guys that get incredibly hot when they get fouls they don't like getting them including i think they each picked up their fourth foul on the same trip down the floor yeah yeah that was uh that was amusing always fun to see those two guys that go at it and uh simultaneously bitch to the refs one thing we should it shouldn't be lost in this too i mean cousins and davis are viewed as like these twin towers davis is so much better than cousins like those two guys are not really still in the same league as far as players and ad is is having an absolutely wonderful season just to, to hone in on on his stats for the year 29 per 65 percent true shooting he's at least getting on the offensive glass a little bit more now eight percent uh, still for him and cousins to uh, cousins only six percent offensive rebound cousins is a much higher usage than davis he's down a little bit in terms of usage but overall on the season davis is averaging 26 points a game and he started shooting the three again last last year he was below 30 percent now 
now he's taking 2.13s a game and is up to 36 percent. that's an important shot for him to take when he's left unguarded and just as was the case last year the pelicans are doing well defensively when davis is the only big man on the floor if we're using davis sans cousins as the proxy for that 103 defensive rating plus 9.6 net rating in those minutes they've been good with the two of them together and that was a big swing from early in the season they had a few really bad stretches with davis on the floor we expected that to be an aberration they've been good in those and you know davis i i I understand why he doesn't want to be a center full-time i completely get that but he is immensely valuable to his team there and would be even more so if they had more forwards speaking of things that they need we don't have to talk about who this might be but when they make their inevitable trade to mortgage the future again this year what sort of player do you think they should be looking for what sort of player would really help them somebody who can defend small forwards and is better offensively than tony allen yeah i mean i think they need a three-man as they have uh, since time immemorial and they need a three-man who is also totally comfortable taking open shots and ideally somebody who is uncomfortable taking bad shots that would be great but that might be a little much and i honestly as long as the guy is small forward sized i could actually totally see going offense over defense as long as they reach a certain threshold defensively you know they can't be a sieve but if they're better than sieve then the offense might be a more desirable trait than defense let's get to portland now still amazingly the third ranked defense in the nba but quite troublingly the 21st ranked offense but they are sixth in the league with a 4.2 net rating they've gone six and two a very successful east coast trip for them 12 and eight overall you watched the end of their game against washington which they came back from eight points down in the last two minutes yeah tim bontemps and i were watching it i should say seven sorry seven points bontemps and i were watching it during warriors pelicans because it was largely during a stoppage fortunately of that game yeah that's a good washington post uh, columnist there tim bontemps making sure he catches oh absolutely well we were he he was keeping an eye on it throughout but mccollum went absolutely insane and this would have been a dispiriting loss for the blazers because john wall didn't play and they were getting outplayed for most of this game i thought for a second at the time that that Markeith Morris getting a flagrant foul call with a minute 32 might loom large, but it's like, oh, they're still there. At that point, they were still up. I think it was it was eight at that point. And then Nurkic made one of the free throws. And then all of a sudden, CJ goes absolutely insane, makes a three, a layup, and a 20-footer in about a minute. Yeah, and I assume all of those were like just individually created plays. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think there was, I think there was a screen on one of them, but all the other ones was just taking his guy off the dribble and getting there. And... The other thing that helped that win be possible and I tweeted about this earlier in the game. I'm not going to spend too much time on it because this isn't the Wizards 15 and 60. Bradley Beal went zero for five from the field in those last two minutes. And one of those shots was after Portland already got the lead when they, they Washington had a chance to actually steal the win back. But Washington just couldn't get anything offensively. And so that gave CJ the amount of opportunities to do it. But that swung what could have been and arguably should have been a loss into a win. And that changes the way they think about the road trip, how the way they change, think about things moving forward. And I am fascinated with their defense just because this is different than what we saw before but when i started really digging into it it's not different in kind it's more different in result what do you mean by that so their opponent shot distribution is largely the same as it has been in prior years you know they're they're generally they're they're not giving up a ton of shots from three they're doing a decent job you know like they're they're forcing they're kind of and the only big difference is that they're giving up a lot more shots at the rim but the big difference this year is that i actually had forgotten that they've been 
towards the top of the league at defending at the rim the last couple of years, which is amazing because of the personnel changeover in terms of Nurk and Plumley. But they went from being one of the unluckiest teams at defending threes. They were fourth from the bottom the last two years to now they've been the fourth best quote unquote three point defense in the league so far. So that was one extreme. Now it's going the other way. If that starts to get a little bit more normal, then this looks a little bit worse than third, but maybe they should have been better than where they were the last couple of years. Yeah, I agree with you. And also worth noting that when they exchanged Plumlee for Nurkic, they started looking a lot better. I was never a believer in Plumlee's defense, but Portland is the number one thing that I want to discuss with Dylan Murphy the next time we have him on because see what they're doing schematically and whether he thinks that this can really sustain it or not. I want to get back to CJ though. He's just one of the more unique players that we have in the league. He almost never gets a shot set up for him and that is maybe every once in a while when he's playing with Dame but he has to carry their second unit all the time and I think Stotts deserves a ton of credit for the way over the years that he has staggered Dame and CJ and let both of them be the primary creator enough that he can really take advantage of those guys because those are the only two guys who can handle the ball and really get to the rim or create a shot that's efficient on this team and so yeah I get that they're only 21st in offense and that's a concern because it's not Dame and CJ's fault like those guys are doing everything they can they just you know outside of Nurkic who has not been as efficient as in past years and then uh they really don't have anyone else you know they don't have Crab, Amor Harkless is now out of the starting lineup they're closing games with Shabazz Napier alongside Damon CJ at this point Stas is really struggling with Aminu out to find two other players to go with Dame CJ and Nurkic but and CJ is just one of the better shot makers that we've seen in the NBA especially at his size when you consider that he doesn't have a a ton of quickness he does have that high release when he does get a spot up attempt he is draining them he is 35 out of 56 and shooting 82.1 percent e field goal percentage cj also basically never turns it over a very solid isolation player in pick and roll 129 possessions he has 126 points that's excellent considering pick and rolls are almost always in the half court very very low turnover percentage in pick and roll now cj does basically nothing else on the floor he's not setting up others he's not getting to the foul line his defense is you know it's impressive that they're able to defend this well with he and and dame both out there but i don't think anyone would look at him as like you know with his tools as a stopper level a guy but his ability to just make a living on contested mid-range shots i've said this before i was not high on him in the draft in 2013 because i felt like this guy is not doesn't have elite quickness he doesn't have elite vision like is he really going to be able to live on these type of of mid-range you know three-point shots in the nba contested when he's not creating a ton of separation most players the answer to that coming out of college is no but he was the guy who actually was able to sustain it like the guy just makes the ball go in the basket and sometimes you just have to respect what a great job he can do on that even when you know he's not your typical type of nba prospect in terms of efficiency and taking the right shots and all that the guy just worked on his game and he just can make contested shots it's a skill it's it's clear now that he can do this he's been doing it for three years in a row it's super impressive to watch i've gained an even more of an appreciation for him watching him in personal lot over the last couple playoff series because they've faced the Warriors twice and just his ability to to take and make those shots is awfully impressive and I wonder what he could do if they just had better surrounding talent offensively for him but we might not see that for a little while and he's been spectacular we can appreciate that for what it is the Spurs are 12 and 7 4 and 2 since we last checked in on them 2.4 net rating that is eighth in the NBA they have the 17th ranked offense and the eighth ranked defense have they if you you found out that 
Kawhi was not going to play the first 19 games, would you say they've exceeded or been below expectation? Overall, I would say they exceeded them. I mean, the fact that, that they've both been, that he and Tony have been out this long and they've been, you know, that they've been as good, especially defensively, is it does not help my my argument that Kawhi was going to win Defensive Player of the Year because they, he was going to be the anchor of their defense. They've done a good, nice job overall. And of course, they have a great system and they execute the hell out of everything. One of my favorite stats defensively for them is so you when you were talking about foul rate, I actually looked this up. The top five teams in foul rate, or so the, that have been fouling the least defensively, four of the five are in the bottom half of the league defensively. The fifth team is the San Antonio Spurs. They are able to kind of defy that where they're, they are able to contest shots without fouling and just be awesome. And nobody else has really cracked that nut. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is just because they have such good perimeter defense, even now without Kawhi in there, they never make mistakes, right? So their guys are always there. They're in position. They're not lunging at the last minute. And a lot of it is coaching too. I mean, you remember that series against... Houston where they said hey we're going to keep the, our hands out of the strike zone right the the area where James Harden remember this is under last year's interpretation of the rules where James Harden likes to bring the ball up and go through your arms and they just never fouled it, James Harden it was incredible and you know I'm sure and even Steve Kerr says that same message to the Warriors right and somehow Greg Popovich whether they get the players who will listen to him inherently or he somehow imparts that message better or he feels more comfortable being critical whatever it is i don't think he's saying stuff that's that different from what other coaches are saying i mean everyone can say all right don't reach in on james harden for example but he gets his guys to do it when no one else can that's the difference with him and the fact that they've done it this year without Kawhi, and yeah they do have they do have a lot of other quality defenders on this team and and playing two bigs especially if you get back on defense really does help but they've they've done a beautiful job and part of that is also that they're they're number four in a fourth best opponent fourth meaning fourth worst opponent shooting at the rim 60% even though Pow is not peak of his powers Pow, he can still really affect shots at the rim and you know the fact that they've been able to to do that with him and with LaMarcus and without Dwayne Dedman this year I- I've been blown away yeah Pow can still I mean he's got that 7-5 wingspan and a huge standing reach I mean he could still be effective when he's there we saw that in the series against Houston as well last year Kyle Anderson's been getting a lot of love lately he is third on the team in minutes per game 20 eight minutes per game still never ever takes a three-pointer he is three of eight on three-pointers which is even lower than it has been in previous years he'll probably take more once Kawhi comes back if they play together but he's actually managed to be efficient which is pretty remarkable because you don't if you're not shooting threes he's just able to get to the rim and finish on occasion he is really really picks his spots right I mean you would think okay 15 percent usage probably is just a guy who stands out at the three-point line like most of his shots are assisted but that's not actually true uh, Liam had this note that only 46% of his shots at the rim are assisted. So he is able to work to the rim, has a high release as well, taking 48% of his shots there. And he's a great finisher, uh, amazingly, for a guy who can't jump. He has that long wingspan and he just slows down so much that the other guy can't jump either, gets his body into him a little bit. He's also getting on the offensive glass with those long arms. Uh, the only problem, though, is despite the fact that he's playing all these minutes, they're much better when he doesn't play. And some of that is San Antonio 
having a, a deep bench and having a lot of these good guys. But also, you know, they haven't it hasn't been the greatest bench year for San Antonio. Their starters have actually have a better net rating than their bench so far overall. And Anderson, he'll block some shots. He and Danny Green for wing type players. Both those guys have almost the same block percentage as LaMarcus Aldridge, who has gotten better since he's gotten to San Antonio blocking shots as well. And I still think the problem, though, is that like I don't don't want Pop to fall in love with Anderson. And he's at the the time in a career where a coach will say, well, he's been in my system and now he understands. So he's paid his dues. And clearly anyone who's been in my system for this long, like I'm a great coach. So obviously Pop is, but nonetheless, he'd say, well, I think Kerr is kind of going through the same thing with Kevon Looney right now, where it's like, well, he's been around, he's paid his dues. We've coached him up. So now he's good. And yeah, he's a, he's a little better. But if you're going to try and get away with playing him a bunch against this Houston team, where he's going to have to defend out on an island, if you're going to try and have him guard KD like they did two years ago, he's still, I think, too slow to be a positive factor against the best teams. But he is the type of player. I mean, he's the 30th pick. He's slow. I mean, they're staying afloat. They're in the green when he's on the floor. And, you know, that's something. And he's he's playing better this year than I thought possible, even if, you know, I'm still going to stick to my guns on the idea that, you know, he's not going to be an asset against the highest competition. One other thing to go back to the Spurs defense, and Kyle Anderson has been a part of this, is that they're also preventing opponents from taking threes, which is another hallmark of their offense or the defense that they've been able to execute this year. They're number five in that. And so when you combine that, you know, and they always always. Exactly. And so when you can when they can still hit those notes, even with, you know, with with non Kawhi personnel, I don't want to say inferior because that doesn't seem fair to the rest of the guys that, you know, that Anderson can execute what they want to do. You know, maybe that's enough for right now. So Utah is nine and 11, three and four since the last 15 and 60. uh, But actually in the green net rating wise, they are 14th. They have the 22nd ranked offense, which has actually been trending upward of late. And then the ninth ranked defense, which is going to, I think, going to continue trending downward uh, with the the loss of Gobert. But let me ask you this. I mean, with Gobert out, would you say that the Jazz have appreciably more offensive talent than, say, the Kings? Huh. I think Favors is more ta- is more capable offensively than the Kings bigs. And, yeah. Ing- and, and Rubio is probably a better point and guard. Ingles than, is, than and Ingles is more offensively capable than, like, Bogdanovich. So, yeah, I would say they would. But not. it's not like this massive step, like I'm super duper offended by the question, yeah. though I'm sure Jazz fans will be. But it's... Um, yeah, and, and Rodney Hood is a better is a better guy with the ball in his hands probably than anyone. Rod- Rodney Hood. So, but but the reason... Yeah, Rodney yeah, Hood right. leading the Jazz in scoring while coming off the bench. I love that. It doesn't happen all that often in the NBA, but he's averaging 20.8 points per game on 46.6% shooting, but still coming off the bench, even with their injuries. Yeah, and that's good to see. I mean, you remember when he injured his calf, there was fear that it might be an Achilles even, and he's come back having probably the best stretch of his career lately. But the, the reason I made that comparison is just because... And also, you know what? It probably isn't a fair comparison. I mean, the, kind of the point I was going to is like, hey, look how much Quinn Snyder can get out of these guys offensively. But the Jazz also have like quality stretch four options as well. Jarebko is shooting it extremely well. They've been playing Cephalosha at the four also, and he's been successful shooting on his limited attempts from three. Ingles, as you mentioned, he's in 20 of his last 29 from three now. And that's really impressive that the Jazz are able to get up this many three-point shots without really a, a traditional ball handling creator type and without even joe johnson as well as a stretch four option jarebko is at 47 percent from downtown they've also actually been pretty decent when whole netto has played he has the best net rating on the team i believe um i think one of the things that really sticks out about this team offensively uh, is the 
contrarian nature of their offense. Since Gobert's injury, that's eight games where they're four and four, and they have a positive net plus six net rating because they housed Orlando and Chicago each by more than 30, 30 or more points. But so they have nobody averaging more than five assists per game. But Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, and Ricky Rubio are all between four and five, which is pretty cool. So you have three starters that are all that are all doing that. And one quick thing on that, Donovan Mitchell is second among rookies in usage right now. He's ahead of Ben Simmons and behind Dennis Smith. And he started to come around after a ghastly start to the year efficiency-wise. And impressive for a rookie who was not really renowned as a guy who could run pick and roll that he's averaging almost five assists a game. And just to be clear, so they've been starting. It's been Rubio, Mitchell, Ingles, Jarebko, and Favors starting. And then they've been going with Udo as the backup center, bringing Hood off the, the bench as well, who's been closing most of these games. And they also blew out the buck as well by about 15 over the weekend. So maybe the ship has been righted here. Maybe this team, they have a tough schedule in December, but if they can just win a few of these games, again, with Memphis totally falling off, stay in contact, Gobert, they're about, you know, a couple weeks into his four to six week recovery. Reintegrating him will be interesting offensively too, because I think they're, and I would be surprised, frankly, if they go back to the favors and Gobert together lineup when he comes back, because that unit was not successful offensively this year. It did not have quite the same defensive pop that it's had in previous years. And they've been successful, at least offensively, with Favors as the big. So maybe the thinking would be, hey, you know what? Like, we're going to bring Favors off the bench, play him at backup center. We'll bring Gobert in. He can give us most of what Favors is giving us offensively. Well, that's an interesting question of whether Favors or Gobert is a better offense player. Uh, but because Gobert can get up for alley-oops and get, get on the offense glass, but Favors is probably better in most other areas. Um, but, you know, maybe their offense can take off a little bit, even with Gobert coming back. And I really thought they were in trouble, and they've had a couple of nice wins here that Orlando win against the Bulls against Milwaukee to stay in contact which is all I think they need to do and, and that maybe you know if they can play 45 win type of ball once Gobert returns that'd be enough to get in the playoffs still I am definitely more hopeful than I was before but I really do want to see how they fare against the next two weeks I think they're playing a lot of playoff teams or likely playoff teams including a home yeah what, what's their schedule for the next the next uh stretch here while Gobert is still going to be out host Denver at the Clippers which will be a, a good little test for them they should win that game host New Orleans host the Wizards at would you say that you think you think they would be favored at the Clippers? I mean, the Clippers have been pretty ghastly the last couple of weeks. I I would favor them personally. I'm not sure Vegas will, hmm. but I would. Okay. Then host New Orleans, host the Wizards, at OKC, host Houston, at the Bucks, at the Bulls, at the Celtics, at the Cavs, at the Rockets. Yeah, they've got a six-game trip coming up starting on December 9th, and that that I think is going to be difficult yeah. for them to be competitive. A six-game a six, a six mean, trip where five of the games are against teams that you could say are among the, the 10 most talented, whether the, the Bucks aren't among the 10 best, but they might be among the 10 most talented. Yeah, well, OKC might not be among the 10 best the, the way they're, they're playing Fair either, point. But yeah, I mean, yeah, so they've got two two games at OKC I mean they're probably going to lose those um but yeah I mean they've got these games against the Nuggets Clippers Pels these next three games then they face the Wizards at home as well I think they really they need to go like three and two four and one in that stretch because they're looking at kind of like you know a two and seven three and six type of stretch after that maybe even worse when they go on that really really difficult road trip yeah so it's about right and then it doesn't get any better no. they're going to face the Spurs Oklahoma City again they play Oklahoma City 
three times in 18 days and then they're at nuggets at warriors home against the Cavs to close out december and then the, the schedule finally lightens up so yeah i mean this next five game stretch for them is extremely critical uh to number one pick up some wins against the clippers and pals who are their competition i guess the nuggets as well and just to have some kind of a winnable game so i mean they really need yeah. to go three and two in that stretch i think to to stay above water because by the time gobert comes back i mean i don't see how they're not like five games that are 500 not worse you could see them only play you could make an argument that they only play two games against bottom 10 teams in the next two months that's rough all right well this episode was not rough i really enjoyed it per usual don't forget about our our sponsor today movement watches mvmt.com slash capspace check out the watches there find something to buy that special person at a special price boy i don't even need ad copy i just come up with this on my own danny anything you wanted to talk about before we bid adieu a league pass games of the week will be out and then i have uh, at least one cba encyclopedia piece coming out this week i actually should do a good job i should try to update the title page because there are a lot of new topics up there including like the stuff with rookie scale contracts so we've had a few people asking us to explain cap stuff that's a good place to start and of course larry coon cba faq is another phenomenal one all right twitter nba show will be wednesday this week looking forward to doing that what are the games this week again wizards sixers and warriors lakers oh yeah that'll be good i want to do a, a lakers game uh, those will actually be on nba tv but hey you know other than last week twitter nba show never rests um and, and then wizard sixers that was a, quite the yarn too bad john wall won't be playing though that's a shame but it is what it is. uh all right then we are done here talk to y'all tomorrow we're going to talk about our top 10 shooting guards in the league it was actually inspired by a little bit on the broadcast of wolves and sons today uh and actually it doesn't even need to be top 10 i think we might even go deeper than that so stay tuned for that we'll do some news tomorrow as well and uh, anything else interesting that piques our fancy talk to y'all then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.